Sunday if you're listening to us live on 5radiointernational.com and that must mean it's time for the bookworm. Hello. Hello. With me, Ed Fortune, and also... Producer Al. Now, we've in sent... In the house. We've sent out an investigation party for Ninfa. She was coming back from Atlantis. I think she went via the station's corridors. Did, did she not possibly go via the M6 motorway with its continual, continual roadworks? It's pretty much the same sort it of... It is. Thing it's it's, it's similar, yeah. Similar level of Dante's Inferno. But, um, yes, so... Set various... Well, actually, I think the M6 actually does carve out an ancient and terrible rune as detailed... Anyway... ...in Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Uh, yes, we are on social media. We are available on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Mixcloud and iTunes. You can find us on iTunes by going to starburstmagazine.com. You can find us on the rest of it by going to Radio Bookworm, my at Radio Bookworm, slash Radio Bookworm, or Radio Bookworm.tumblr. Our owl for the owl service, for those who uh, are members of the Ministry of Magic, is also called Radio Bookworm. Uh, and we're also on station social media, which is fabradiointernational.com, and they're fabradioint, and they're also fabradio on Twitter. So once we've got all of that out of the way, I'm very sorry, regular listeners, for all of that palaver. Um, what are we talking about this week, Ed? Dark fairy tales. But first up, before we talk mm. about dark fairy tales, um, but fairy tales are dark, mostly dark. Most of them, well. most of them, grim. Grim. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much Which grim. is most of them. But anyway, book news? Shall we do the book news? Let's do that. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. So this is Fab Radio International. We are the Bookworm. Thank you for embracing the alternative. Or early adopters, embracking the alternative. I'll never let that go. Embrack the alternative. Uh, <laughs> because as someone who reads books and also writes for a living, I'm a snob when it comes to words. Uh, that's not endearing yourself entirely here to the other station staff. <laughs> but the fact that I'm a book snob is not news. What is news is that James Dawson, quite rightly, has been crowned the Queen of Teen. Apparently, uh, um. yes, uh, British author James Dawson has uh, defeated all. Comp- Competitors including John Green, the John Green, not the fighting fantasy author, the one who wrote The Fault in All Stars. Uh, we'll keep saying that until people realise. Um, he's been crowned the first ever male Queen of Teen. Um, the award was set by the book people in 2008 to encourage uh, teenage girls specifically to, to get into reading, uh, mostly their range of books. Uh, and he has won for Hollow Pike uh, and say her name. Um, he's got a lot of support from the um, from the teen LGBT community, and his next book is called "This Book Is Gay: A Guide to Growing Up When You're LGBT," which will be on uh, Hotkeys. Um, so, so there's that. There's what, that sorry, what's Hotkeys? Is that a, that a book publisher? They are. They're okay. a really good uh, book publisher. They occasionally send us stuff. Ah, um, hey, we like them. So, shall we talk about the Elfstone Shoshanora? The Elfstones of Shinara is a fantasy novel by a series of fantasy novels by Terry Brooks. Uh, it came out in the 80s, so why is that book news, Ed? Because it's got a TV series, MTV. MTV. So it's been like 30 years and they're just now optioning it? Yeah. Wow. Now, uh, you see, it was the other one to dra- Dragonlance. I want, I, I, as I've said repeatedly on the show, I want Dragonlance to be a thing because it's got the D&D connection and also their fun. Elfstones of Shinara, okay. They're, they're all right. It's a fantasy series. And they're apparently going to skip some of the books because some of the books just go nowhere and do nothing. Um, Whatever happened to the entire Chronicles of Narnia adaptations? Has that stopped now in film? Um, Have they not done well enough? Are there some of them that are looking at and going... Missed quite a few of them. They kind of Because kind of we've not had um, the first one. What's the first one? Magician's Nephew. Thank you. That I li- like that one. And we've not had that, have ah, we? but they're the later ones, because you wrote the Lion, Rich and the Wardle first. Yes, but the Magician's Nephew, chronologically, in terms of story order, comes before that, because it talks about the origins of, of Narnia and stuff. The, there's a I shot... Believe, I believe. The, it's been some time since I've heard them. There's a short conversation we had about uh, the Magician's Nephew, the horse and his boy, and the, the last battle, which were the, the which were ones that he wrote later on, 
and the ones that are the most popular, which are the Land of Witch in the Wardrobe, uh, Prince Caspian, uh, The Voyage of the, the Dawn Treader, and so on. Mm. I own the entire seven book series. I have not read all of them, and I, m- I must have had them 25 years now. <laughs> um, but, but I've not read all of them, because some of, the, some of them are just like, this is hard going. Picture, if you will, an eight-year-old Ed being given 50p pocket money. And please remember that the books were 85 pence. Ooh, so, so two you, weeks worth of pocket money. Two weeks, which was an eternity when you're small. <laughs> and, and you, I'd go to T.G. Allen's, T.G. Allen's, when T.G. Allen's was still around, uh, with my pocket money. Is this, is this some sort of Newcastle bookstore? It, it is, oh. they don't exist anymore. Oh. Allen's, though, which is a, a publisher, huge old thing. It's oh. a whole, whole name. He used to go to T.G. Allen's with my 250p's. Uh, and to buy the next one, uh, and I was completely and utterly addicted to them. Um, and I refused, I refused to read any more because there were all versions in the library, but I wanted my own. So I still have them somewhere, and they've all, they've all, they've all got the numbers on the side. And we've gone completely off topic. For the we've gone very, very off topic. Shockingly, shockingly. Um, so um, uh, Schuster and Schuster have uh, opened um, uh, essentially their doors, They're expanding its commercial women's fiction website, Books in the City. Uh, to increase its digital publishing output. They're going to be running creative writing courses. They're going to be uh, running uh, opportunities for people to produce for their women's fiction range. Women's fiction. Isn't that... My, 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 my inner feminist klaxon is sounding. Isn't that fiction? Women's fiction, isn't that fiction? So presumably when they say women's fiction, they're going to be doing like sci-fi, fantasy, horror, you know, books that people read because, you know, women are people. Uh, I think they actually mean chick-led. And there's nothing. No. There's other fiction that women like to read. There's nothing wrong with that sort of fiction at all. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But on the other hand, why why isn't this open to everyone? Maybe we should try and get someone from Schuster and Schuster on the show. Perhaps not, though. So are they are they encouraging women to write? Because aren't women generally underrepresented in the writing market? They are encouraging women to write, which is a brilliant thing. But they're also trying to... Essentially, one project is seeking submissions from agents going forward for, for women's fiction. The other one is encouraging women to write. Uh, and doing a series of, of courses that will be available online and so on. It's an interesting idea. Um, well, we wish them the best of luck. It's panels. I think you have to pay for these things um, because it's publishing and nothing's free. Um, the Guardian does a lot of writing things. Um, I, I happen to have this weekend's uh, Guardian, and it talks about a lot of writing masterclasses, um, and I believe um, Jen Williams may be involved in that. Somehow, or her, or her agent is maybe Juliet Mushins is certainly yes. doing one Juliet of them. Mushins, we, ha- we had her on the show a little while ago. Mm-hmm. I would arm wrestle a bear to get onto <laughs> that course. I really would. Um, but it's it's in that there London. It's in that there in London, and there's no way I can afford the time or the money, unfortunately. Because um, more things should be in Manchester, but that's just us being. You would especially think the Guardian should be in Manchester, but never mind. Let's move on. Moving on. Um, George R. R. Martin um, is, uh, gives a firm response <laughs> to, to some of his critic, critics. Um, German, uh, German magazine, sorry, Swiss, Swiss, not German. Swiss. Swiss daily newspaper, Tiges and Ziege, uh, asked about readers' worries that A Song of Ice and Fire might not be completed by the author uh, because he might die by the time he gets to the end of it. Uh, mm, sorry, how old is he? Is he like in his 50s, maybe 60s? Yes. It's not that old these days. It's not at all. Does he have underlying health problems of which we don't know? He's a big gentleman with an awful lot of money. So I'm assuming that, you know, if he needs an orphan child's blood supply pumped into him, he can afford it. Uh, Anyway, uh, Simpsons jokes to one side. And Martin's response was, I find that question pretty offensive, frankly, when people start speculating about my death and my health. So, firm response to those people. If you'd like to know how firm this response is, just Google George R. R. Martin and it tells you in the first news story. We're not going to mention that because even though we're not, strictly speaking, regulated by Ofcom, we'd like to like, stay friendly on the iTunes. Uh, he also he also made a firm gesture which should confirm his thoughts. It was the American nature of the gesture, uh, one rather than two. He's only 65 according to this. That's, so that's relatively young. That's, that's relatively young. 
the good professor lived a very long time. Yeah. Um, and also he has magic. I mean, they, um, I mean I'm, just, I'm just checking the personal life thing. There doesn't seem to be any mention of, you know, so, any, uh, any embuggerances that I can see. You know, I think he's. I think he's relatively. He's just large. That's fair enough. I'm large. Um, <laughs> Arthur, the Arthur's Guild have joined in on the whole Amazon Hachette thing. Oh, go on. Um, essentially, uh, he, uh, Amazon went. Oh well, if if Hachette agree, we'll give all our money to the uh, the Arthur's because that will that will induce to the to the Arthur's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's how that works, Amazon. Um, yeah, because yeah, because will quite happily stab the people who have stood by them all the time and helped them produce their books and are actually have worked closely with them during the entire process. That's exactly what they would know. Um, yes, so the Office Guild have have been have grumbled quite loudly and have said things. I have said uh, first and foremost, uh, a healthy ecosystem where writer, where all writers, both traditionally and independent published ones, can thrive is what they're after. And they are firmly, firmly disapproving of Amazon's meddling and um, the needs of Fischetti, essentially. Authors Guild, stand up for the authors. As we've said before with this sort of thing, support your local bookstore. Simple as. Little Brown and producing Guardians of the Galaxy books, because there's a movie out. Um, J.K. Rowling has added further speculation and uh, further fiction to the world of Harry Potter? Uh, she has. She's done um, reports from the Quidditch World Cup, which have gone live on Pottermore uh, this week. Um, there's been one which is a very big piece of stuff that sort of basically gave you ten years' worth of what has happened to your favourite characters uh, in two and a half newspaper columns. Uh, and there's been a couple of little follow-up pieces, uh, mostly about Quidditch World Cup-type related Things. It's lovely that she's writing fan fiction about her own work. It is. Um, one would point out she's also top of the hardback fiction sales chart in the UK this week for her uh, latest Robert Galbraith novel. Uh, Bernard Connell's, one of Bernard Connell's historical fun- fiction uh, books has been optioned for a BBC TV series. The BBC have claimed that it's like Game of Thrones meets Downtown, <coughs> Downton Abbey. It's nothing like Game of Thrones. It's not fantasy. It's historical fiction. Bless you, BBC. But pr- produce something with dragons in it, eh? And maybe some more science fiction. Yeah, but it was not the last thing they produced with dragons in it, Merlin, which started off well and ended up just being like, oh, please, please stop it, please. please. I, I, was, I, was, I was quite a fan of some of it. Mostly, mostly... Some of it was fine. Quite like the cast. The cast, were, the, cast nice. were doing, the cast were nice, they were doing well. Had Anthony Head in it, we like him. Yep, the entire cast were actually quite gorgeous. Um, it was, it was well You're taking the wrong thing from this fortune. I am. It was well put together, and it did very well, and it's done very well internationally, and the BBC should do more fantasy. Maybe they should adapt the Dragonlance novels. I'm not going to give up on that. Finally, Squid Bits. Yeah, we love Squid Bits, Squid Bits. Uh, Squid Bits by uh, Jess Bradley, illustration, friend of the show, uh, have made the front cover of uh, the current Phoenix comic book for children. Uh, we like the Phoenix. Tell us more about the Phoenix, Ed. If you have kids, if you have kids who are nieces and nephews or actually your own <laughs> children and you are not get, get, getting them the Phoenix weekly, then I will go as far as to say that I look down upon you along my long, beaky nose, which is not long. And, and we'll, we'll put an, a link on the various social media things for you to be able to subscribe to that later today. Phoenix is fantastic. It's a great kids' comic book from the the tradition of great comics comic books. Uh, it's good bits. is also funny. You'll love it if you've grown up, and you'll love it as a kid. Uh, I've not encountered a child yet who hasn't adored the Phoenix. It's just comic books done well. Uh, coming up next, I talk nonsense about books. Shocking. The Alternative with Fab Radio. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fabrugian International. So I'm going to talk about Sarah Pindra's Poison. Now, this is very much not a young adult book. This is very much aimed at grown-ups. I'm, I'm sure the, the 
the uh, older sort of young adult would uh, would enjoy it immensely. Um, yes, okay, so Poison, written by Sarah Pindra. We've talked to Sarah before on the show. She's very good at the dark, and she's very good at the spooky. So what's she doing writing a fairy tale? Well, she's decided to pick on Snow White for her first book, and her series, which includes A Charm and A Beauty, so that would be A Sleeping Beauty, and that would be Cinderella as well then. Uh, in this one, this is Snow White, and we are introduced to a wicked queen, and she is very, very wicked, and I mean she's wicked in many different ways. This is a heavily sensual book. It is very laden with the sex. There are explicit scenes in it. Let's just be blunt from the start. Should this have what the Americans would call a PG-13 rating? Uh, almost a 15. PG-13 PG is, yes, parental advisory, shall we say. If, if we were on fanfic sites, would it be an M or would it be an E? M is mature, E is explicit. Uh, mature to explicit. Some of the scenes are quite explicit. Um, I'll put it this way. The, the the wicked the the wicked the, the wicked witch the, the 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 queen the dark queen uses her magic on the king very early on, and her magic does not involve a spell. Her magic does not involve a potion. The magic involves her tongue. Uh, I'll not go any further than that. But it's beautifully done. It's beautifully rendered and it's beautifully put together. What we have is we have um, we we have the the, the the queen the wicked witch. As she was, um, the stepmother, the evil stepmother, and she is a steer. She is an older lady. She is very beautiful. She's very willowy. She's very pale. She's an exotic beauty, and she's also very cold because her life has had to make her very cold. So she's cold and manipulative. Meanwhile, Snow White is beloved by the kingdom. The king's run off to to fight a war because he's an idiot. Um, by the by, strong, strong, strong. Fem- expect a strong feminist tone. If you're offended by that that sort of thing, then please stop listening to the show. Short version, um, but yes, strong, strong uh, feminist tone to this book. It's great, but obviously the the women are the hero, and men are men are there, shall we say, and men are men, and they're very, very, very much men. Is that not the the case in a lot of? Fairy tales, though the men are very much background characters. Yes, I mean, unfortunately, they tend to sweep in at the end and, and rescue the girls, but they do very much sweep in at the end. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, classic Disney adaptations. There, there ain't a lot of of the prince and all that stuff. Certainly, the very classic sort of 60s, 70s stuff. There isn't much of the, the men until the end. Do They're balancing it out a bit more these days, but it's still very heavily tilted towards the uh, ye olde Disney princess. The, the two main male characters in here we'll get to in a minute. Um, Snow White herself is very earthy. She's very natural. She's a very, she's she's an earthy, warm girl. She likes her beer. She likes her kissing. She likes her friends. She's a you know she lives life in the moment. She's highly intelligent. She's very strong. She's very strong emotionally. I don't mean she can like punch a bear, but you know she's strong emotionally. She knows who she is. Um, as she goes distant from her stepmother because her stepmother is so cold and also Snow is just easy to love. She's beautiful, she's she's charismatic and as things hot up and she realises that her stepmother is going to try and kill her or at least get rid of her in some way or, or, or another, she runs into the forest where she meets dwarves. The dwarves do have complicated names but they refer to each other by their, their significant traits. Grouchy, dreamy, happy... You know, like people who work in a mine would refer to each other by their nicknames. So they talk to each other by their nicknames. Very cleverly done, very subtly done. Um, but, you know, exclusively grouchy, dreamy. Why do you think we call him dreamy and so on? Um, there is a huntsman who is the first main male character. Um, he will become significant in the next book that's based around the story of Cinderella, oddly enough. Um, he turns up. He's also a very earthy character. Um, he kind of he represents that kind of mysterious dark male force essentially he turns up, he is the dark male force um, he's very much a man he's also a thief um, there's a wonderful side jab at Aladdin here as well which I absolutely adore but the hunter turns up things go wrong Snow White of course because the narrative demands it and it's quite well done as well bites into an apple 
goes into a coma. The dwarves being craftsmen build build her a glorious coffin. Um, for when the seems, seems slight overkill. Well, for the when the king returns to, to try and preserve you know to preserve his beloved daughter, and she is you know beautifully if you regarded. Eventually, of course, the prince from a foreign nation discovers what's going on, encounters all these sorts of things. There is a sort of a rebellion happening within the land. Uh, the queen's icy grasp is not loved by the kingdom. Um, it is a dark place that she's created because it reflects her heart, which is made out of ice. Um, and uh, a prince charming occurs. And the prince charming falls in love with the girl behind the glass. While she's in the glass, it's a bit creepy, isn't it? It gets. It doesn't get. It doesn't get. It doesn't get M rating creepy at this point. Okay, that's good. Uh, just, just, just to let you know, it doesn't get that sort of creepy. But it is creepy. He has. He basically, he looks at a beautiful woman, and he. We, we'd have very large issues of consent and agency at that point. I feel. Well, you see, this is it because what happens is the prince turns up, sees this beautiful woman who is, you know, who is in a coma, decides to try and cure the curse. But he objectifies her. He completely and 100% objectifies her. Here is a princess who has these wonderful stories that he's been told about how what she's like. Mm. He can see her. He can see what she looks like. And then he builds, a desi- like, he designs in his head what Snow White should be. Completely classical objectification. He objectifies this woman. Then she wakes up. That's not spoiling the story. You know the story of Snow White. If you don't, go and get a video. Um, and wackiness ensues. It's a short version. So it's very, very, very cleverly done. It's very, very beautifully written. I, If you're sitting there going, oh, this sounds a bit heavy-handed. It's really not. It's beautifully, certainly done. I'm describing it in a heavy-handed way because I'm a, I'm a critic. You know, I, I, I don't have the, the fine fine word skills that Sarah Pindriber does. But if you've read her stuff before... She's and you may have read her Torchwood books. You may have read her Torchwood books. You may have seen some of the TV stuff. You may have read some of her other bits and pieces. She's written an awful lot of stuff. Yeah, she's great. Uh, shall, we, shall we talk briefly about the other two books in the in the series so far, Charm and Beauty? Uh, Charm and Beauty are also very good. Charm has one of the, the one of my favourite surprises, one of my favourite surprises in the at the end, which I can't spoil for you. And Beauty, well, yeah, Beauty, Beauty again is firmly, firmly is about objectification and why that's a really stupid idea. Um, it's cracking the entire series is cracking they're available in various bits and pieces are we allowed to say which ones charm and beauty are based on or is that too spoilerish cinderella um cinderella and um sleeping beauty Beauty, yeah that that one's kind of a giveaway there's a touch of see this is it the clever thing is is there's there's a bit of aladdin in there and you can see where aladdin comes from and you can see where little uh, uh red riding hood is formed if you see what I mean, mm. you can you can take the various elements from the various stories, and you can see that it's someone who's told the story wrong, and that's where that's where the story of Red Riding Hood has come from, sort of thing. Um, of them, Poison is my favourite, which is the first one. I do like Charm, Beauty I enjoyed immensely, but then it kind of stopped, and you're just like, I kind of want more. The world is really really nice. I'd love I'd love for them to do another series that explores the books more. Um, if you don't like your gentleman in a kind of moustache twirling way, or if you feel uncomfortable when guys are absolutely awful, maybe it's not for you. But then maybe you should get out more. Um, wonderfully done. Strong female perspective. Uh, I recommended reading for anyone who's into dark fairy tales. Recommended reading for if if you're a gentleman and you want to be a book critic and you actually want to understand what a female perspective story is, read some Sarah Pindra for the love of God. Especially if you're a genre critic. Um, I mean, there's lots more you should be reading as well. You should be reading Margaret Atwood. But yes, read good book. Good. It's out on Golands. Uh, Orion Books under their label, um, or Hachati as we call them. Um, by Sarah Pindra. It's available in hardback. The hardbacks are really, really pretty. 
Um, the soft backs are also quite pretty. That's kind of that white cover. You know that white cover with the full all style effect that you get in a lot of books. Um, firmly, firmly for grown ups. Um, so yeah, shall we? Um, shall, shall we move a bit forward? Let's let's do that. Yes. So I got to talk to. No. Oh, we'll have a little jingle, and then you'll come back and talk about who you're talking to. Oh, blimey! Okay. our interview with this week? Uh, we're talking to Rod Duncan, who wrote The Bullet Catcher's Daughter for Angry Robert Books. Um, he's got, um, basically, he's a thriller author. He's better known for thrillers. He's written these steampunk novels, which we completely and utterly adored. Um, we'll get round to a review of The Bullet Catcher's Daughter at some point as well. But uh, he's apparently done something called the Riot Trilogy? Uh, Assuming that's a Backlash, back, back, back Breakbeat and Burnout are the, the Riot Trilogy. They're, they're um, procedural crime drama thrillers. We're actually uh, just coming up in a moment. We've got to have a great chat about the difference between writing thrillers and write because he's procedural drama and writing genre he's a massive genre fan um he's been you know part of the the, the broad genre community actually just before we start just remembered angry robot at the end of the year every year do an open submissions window for novels if you're writing a intelligent we'd hope intelligent intelligent fantasy or science fiction book you should start editing it now so you can submit it for um, for the Christmas period. Um, just every time Angry Robot come up, this little thing in the back of my head says, Ed, you should mention that they've got a submission window and they've been doing it since since forever. So, um, yes, so shall we get on with the uh, the chat with Mr. Duncan? He was lovely, by the way. So uh, coming up next... How, how's the sound quality on this one? The sound quality is much better. We can only, again, because <laughs> only apologise for the sound quality last week. Um, that show is not up on iTunes yet. It will be by the time you're listening to this on iTunes, however. So just because of technical issues. Um, we do our best to try and give you the best sound. But, yes, finally, <laughs> coming up, a chat with Rod Duncan. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. Rod Duncan, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So what can you tell us about your latest book, The Bullet Catcher's Daughter? The Bullet Catcher's Daughter. Well, this is my new novel coming out in September. And it is a little bit of a departure for me because I have been known previously for writing contemporary crime fiction. But this is an alternate history. So it's still got a crime element. It follows the story of Elizabeth Barnabas as she tries to work as a private investigator in, in what appears to be Victorian England. But in uh, the society she lives in, really women are not given the freedom to, to have that kind of job. And so she has invented for herself a fictional brother who is supposedly the private investigator. And um, although she will do the investigation when uh, she's as herself, as a woman, she signs the contracts and agrees all the kind of details when she's posing as a man. And this, uh, you know, this so it appears to be a private investigator story. But as we go on, we realize that this is not, in fact, Victorian England. And uh, it is the present day, but something has changed in history. And the question of exactly what that is will emerge as a bigger and bigger question as time goes on. Um, well, it's a duology in the sense that there are two books signed up at the moment. Currently, it's billed as a duology. Could we expect more novels? I see it as a much longer series than that. But in, in the uh, the immediate future, you'll see Elizabeth um, 
really fighting for survival in the world in which she lives. The, uh, the, the British Isles in which she lives have been divided by a, uh, a revolutionary war. And so there is a, an Anglo-Scottish Republic to the north and a kingdom of England and southern Wales to the south. And she is, has been forced to flee from her homeland in the kingdom and is living, eking out this existence in the Republic. And things get very difficult for her. What differs your work from your more regular steampunk novel? Well, that's a good question. Um, perhaps it's different from steampunk novels. Um, I, well, I did not set out to write a by-the-numbers steampunk novel. It's more, I think, it's, in the truest sense, it is an alternate history, and um, uh, which has this Victorian-esque feeling to it. And um, what makes it different? It's an interesting question. I suppose... I see the genres really as kind of like centers of gravity around which these various uh, books or films or games orbit, and they take influences from the, uh, the different genres that they are orbiting. But I don't see them as being primarily defined by genre. I don't think we can look at novels quite in that way, or well, it's not the way that I look, look at them anyway. I think they take influence from so with The Bullet Catcher's Daughter, yes, it's heavily influenced by steampunk styling, but there are elements you'll see in this world that are, uh, uh, I suppose, it doesn't tick all the boxes of, of having all the different um, icons we might expect from steampunk. It's a world that was designed very much um, in terms of this alternate history concept. So I've reached back in history a couple of hundred years made a little imaginary change and watched the dominoes fall coming forward in history again and seen what the world might be like in the present day. And, and so I suppose it's that overall concept that is distinct. I'm waffling here, I think. Where did the idea for the titular Bullet Catcher's Daughter come from? Or where do you develop a character like that? Um, I think uh, it's always been for me with my writing that the characters have announced themselves to me. And um, and the, the characters I think in the past that I've had most success with, that have engaged um, audiences, you know, most deeply, have been those characters who just sprung out of this sort of ether of of the back brain, I suppose, and uh, that I didn't really plan. And that is certainly the case with Elizabeth. Indeed, when I started writing the very first scene that would become the first chapter. Um, I was writing a story about a man in a Victorian-esque um, English setting, and it was only at the end of the scene that this man whipped off the disguise and revealed herself to be this character who be became Elizabeth. So it was quite, she sort of announced herself in that way, and I followed it through, and she seemed to have a kind of integrity, a kind of life to her. And I suppose, particularly with a first-person novel, it's important for me that I can kind of hear the voice of the character. And I felt as if I could for Elizabeth. And so that's really why I followed it. What went into the development of Elizabeth specifically? I think through... It's always the way for me that within the first, probably, you know, five chapters of a book, I'm... I'm experimenting with voice. I'm trying to acquire that um, understanding of who they are. And then by that stage, it kind of crystallizes and I, uh, I understand who the person is and I'll probably go back and edit the first, the first chapters. That happens less with these characters who just kind of bounce onto the page unannounced, if you, if you like, in terms of my writing experience. So there wasn't actually very much to do in terms of going back. What I had to do was when I realized that gender identity was going to be quite an important theme of the story, that I had to go back and uh, alter that first chapter so that I made the reveal of who she was in the first sentence rather than at the end of the first chapter, because she, in, in, a, in a story where you are asking questions about gender identity, I think you have to 
establish a, a baseline of who the person is or who, who the person how the person sees themselves uh, right at the very outset you can't start with a deception so who will enjoy your book strangely strange to say as someone who's had a number of novels out I didn't go into this thinking I am going to create something of this particular genre that's what I'm saying is the opposite of any advice that I would give to writers setting out. Do know your genre, but really the story led me here. So it's it's got strong crime adventure elements. So I expect it will um, appeal to people who, who like the, the, the crime genre. At the same time, um, they will find as they go through the story that it is not a, a straight crime story because it has this alternate history theme that builds up and builds more and more strongly towards the end of the first novel and is uh, even stronger as we go on to the second and, and uh, I hope beyond. So uh, I, don't, I think it's one of those science fiction fantasy books that is not so strongly um, uh, genre identified as to put off people who wouldn't normally read in that genre. That's what I'm trying to say in a lot of, in a very roundabout way, I'm afraid. How different is it writing a thriller from writing a genre novels? What challenges do you face? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the, I, I suppose when I started out, although I, I'm, uh, you know, fantasy and science fiction were really for me where I started engaging in fiction as a reader uh, way back, um, so I hadn't got had this experience of writing them, and I think uh, I kind of naively assumed that uh, oh, I can just transfer my skills as a as a contemporary crime novelist into this area. But I really found there were quite significant areas that I had to learn along the way, and that's particularly in connection to um, world building. And, uh, you know, having done that, I can now look back to crime and say, yeah, well, we do do world building in crime as well, because you're in every setting you're putting your, your readers that they are, it's a new setting, they're learning new things. But it's supremely so in, in, a, uh, in this kind of book like The Bullet Catcher's Daughter. And, and so that really caused me more problems than anything. I, I rewrote it basically I wrote it, then rewrote it two different times with different approaches to the world building. But I'm delighted to to report that the, that readers so far have been um, actually commenting on the world building as something they like. So that's um, th that's given me a, a great boost. You're stuck on a desert island. Let's assume that you've got all your your survival needs dealt with. You've got your poetry and everything else that you might need. Uh, what book? What one book would you have on that island? Okay, th this is just such a, a difficult question. I suppose it depends on my mood. On the one hand, I would like to have Under Milkwood by Dylan Thomas, um, which I can just read and read and read, and I love it, and I love it, and I love it. Uh, on the other hand, I, you know, it's so short. I want, I want something like um, the Gorman Ghost books, Urban Peak. That'll keep me engrossed, but it might keep me rather morose. That's the problem, because they have, have a very sort of grey tone to them. Um, and on the other hand, I really love the Martin Cruz Smith novels, Gorky Park, Polar Star and Red Square. So we can get an anthology of those three. Oh, we really put it on. Do I have to choose just one? Um, I'm going to go for Gorman Gast then. Rod Duncan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I've loved it. So, uh, so Nympha's, where, where is Nympha? Ed, I know you're in there. Please let me in. Oh, oh blimey. Right, yes. Okay, let's, let's, Help! Let, 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 let's not make this all let it go. Come on. Uh, <laughs> right. um, I'm not going to let it go. Hello, everyone. This is Nympha Hayes, and you're listening to the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Hello, Ed. Hello, Nympha. How was Atlantis? Uh, weird. I kind of took the wrong turn, and, and, and then I wasn't here, and then I was there, and then I'm here. Blimey. Okay. Um, uh, Long-term listeners will know that there's, the studio is broken. It, it's a bit, bit TARDIS-like, and, and sometimes you get to places where 
you know, you, you shouldn't have gone in the first place. It's but I'm back. I'm back. I'm safe. And I have a book in my hand. And Ooh, it's okay. great. Okay, tell me more about the book. I'll tell you more. Um, this is the first book in the Luna Chronicles. And it's called Cinder by Marissa Mayer. Um, now, this this was a big book when it first came out. Um, there are several sequels. In fact, um, Scarlet was published last year. Crest was published this year. And there's one more called Winter um, coming into 2015. Um, now, Cinder, it's, um, it's probably sort of one of the first... In, in its sort of genre, almost. Uh, it's a fairy tale retelling. Haha, <laughs> see where I'm going with this, yeah. Cinder? See where I'm doing? Um, and um, it's a sci fi dystopian retelling. Okay, that's refreshingly different. Yes. Um, so, plot. Um, what, what's, what's the book about? Um, book is about Cinder, who's a very gifted mechanic in New Beijing. It's the future Earth. Everything's a bit changed. It's been a massive plague. It's wiped out thousands and thousands of people. Um, and um, Cinder's um, also a cyborg. So she's she's got human parts, but she also has a lot of robotic parts. Oh, I, I, I really want to know what the slippers are now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, unfortunately, her kind, it's kind of sort of despised. There's a bit of a stigma attached. Um... Her stepmother hates her. <laughs> Surprise! Um, and then all of a sudden, um, she gets blamed for her stepsister's illness. Her stepsister, little stepsister, Peony, um, gets sick with the plague. Um, and for several reasons that you will discover if you read the book, uh, Cinder basically gets blamed. Um, but uh, um, twists of fate dictate that when... Um, the very handsome Prince Kai comes to New Beijing. Her fate sort of gets thrown and twisted together with his um, and begins uh, a bit of a struggle um, between an evil queen and uh, a very dangerous temptation. So Cinder's caught between duty and freedom, loyalty and betrayal, and she must uncover secrets about her past which is very mysterious, in order to protect the future of Earth. So, so th- there is no prince here, then. There That's is a... Prince Kai. Oh, Prince Kai, of course. Prince Kai, yes, there is a prince. There's an evil queen. There, there's a despised young cyborg, uh, an evil stepmother, a stepsister. Where, where are we going with all of this? So, so yeah, this is a retelling of Cinderella. Um, and as you said it's quite refreshing because it is again sci-fi dystopian um, you know Cinder isn't the beautiful girl that will become a princess she's a cyborg you know she's a mechanic she's a clever girl she's got some skills works hard for a family that not not always sort of accepts her and loves her as she she would like and um, basically yeah so so you know, there's a mysterious past to be uncovered, and and there's a, a, a bit of a convoluted plot. Did I love it? Did you love it? I, I didn't love it. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I I was really excited by the premise, and a lot of people love it. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure people out there are screaming, "Why didn't you love it? It's amazing!" I saw it coming. Right. I saw the plot just come like in the first two chapters, and. For me, that's a bit of a letdown when I finally got to the big twist and went, yeah, that's exactly what I thought it was going to happen. Is it is that, however, par for the course because it is a retelling of a classic fairy tale or is this a twist? No, no, it is a twist. But there is a twist. And it's very interesting. And, you know, I quite like all the backstory with, you know, the plague and how it wiped out humanity and what her role in, in the future of humanity and Earth is. It's, it's, you know, it's not a bad story. It's written really well. I don't know if it's just me, because I've, I've seen that done before. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what the twist is and try not to hint, because I don't want to spoil it for people that want to go out and buy it, because it is a good book. If um, you're a massive sci-fi fan... Is it a twist that you'll easily see because it's a sci-fi twist? It's not. Right. It's more of a sort of personal b- 
backstory twist. And I've seen it done before in different places. Uh, and because I've seen it done before so many times, when I read, when I started reading about her, I kind of went, oh, I know what's going to happen. And that ruined it for me. If I could have switched off my brain for a bit and just enjoyed the ride, it's a lovely little book. And as I, as I said, it's really original in what it does. Uh, and I think it's introduced sci-fi because it is, you know, in the bones, it is a sci-fi story, whether it's a dark you know, fairy tale retelling or not, and with a big dystopian accent. Um, it is a sci-fi book, and a lot of people loved it, and it got introduced to sci-fi and the beauty of it because of this book a couple of years ago. Um, so it's done a really good job in, in promoting the, 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 the genre. Uh, for me, it didn't quite grab me because of how the plot evolved and how I sort of, related to it um but i know a lot of people loved it and were waiting for the sequels like it was you know water in the desert um i've heard that the sequels are really really good as well are they also fairy tale themed yes well scarlet uh, scarlet crescent winter uh I'm, again i'm not gonna go into who what or why but yeah scarlet you know it, the cover is a bit of a Riding Hood. Ah, I see. See what I did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if you look at the covers, I mean, the Cinder covers is brilliant. It's basically a lovely red shoe with a foot going in it, and through it you can just see uh, the this sort of cyborg skeleton just peeking through. Um, There's so much, I mean... N- you know, my mind's racing with the sort of things that you can do and the fact that you can make, you know, the very good mothers into wee eyes and that sort <laughs> of thing. And all sorts of all sorts of interesting silliness that you can do. So who's it who's it by and who's it published by? It's um Cinder, which is the first book in the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Mayer. Um it's published by Puffin Books. Hey, Yay, Puffin. Puffin. Um it's out there. Uh, it was published in twenty thirteen, so it is available in a lot of formats, ebook, um, paperback. You know, go out and buy it in your local library, um, or you know, you can also order it from the big places and the online. And marketing people have aimed it at young ladies. Is that right? Um, it, yeah, but you know, marketing people. I mean, yeah, yeah. everyone it else, it's just a book. Technically, a young adult book. I mean, there isn't any profanity in there that that a young adult um, wouldn't be able to pick up and read and enjoy. Um, most of the people that I've heard loved it are actually about, you know, over over their 20s and 30s. So it's it's a book that can be enjoyed by young adults upwards into adulthood. And um, shall we go and talk about dark fairy tales? Oh, yeah, let's talk about message. dark fairy tales. So you've been listening to the Bookworm. I've been your host Ed Fortune, and I've been in for hey. So uh, I will be reading. I will be reading books this week. Uh, I'll be reading Grudgebearer. Finally, I think I've mentioned that I was supposed to be reading Grudgebearer ages ago, and then didn't get round to it. But uh, looks good. It's got a dragon on the cover. That's always a good sign for me. I will <laughs> also be reading and reviewing William C. Dietz Andromeda's Choice. Oh, I'm actually reading at the moment. Revealed, which is the latest PC and Kirsten cast installment in the um, um, the House of Night series. Uh, I'm not loving it. Um, mm. I will talk about them possibly next week um, because it's it's an incredibly great idea that I think it's been drawn a little bit too much. Oh, we we should talk about book series. We should both read at some point. Yeah, but maybe for the future. So. Goodbye, and uh, obviously tell us via Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and all the rest of it what you're reading. Uh, we're on Radio Bookworm. You can also catch us by via Apple and and Mixcloud and Owl. Owl. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine, presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A. L. Johnson. <laughs>